Bryn-Mawr Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson Johnson Vision, Aerie, Novartis, and Santen. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for another edition of Ophthalmology Off the Grid COVID-19. Um, it's amazing to think that we've all been kind of locked down for almost a month now. Um, I know Blake and I have really enjoyed the opportunity to talk about interesting issues, things that have been coming up. Um, and really, we feel like this is a way we can connect with people. So it's really been fun. Um, today, we're going to be doing something a little different. It's, it's really show and telemedicine. You know, we've been hearing a lot about telemedicine and how um, it's going to possibly provide that opportunity for us to interface with our patients during this time when we're all shut away. Um, but more than just the theory of it, we actually wanted to have the opportunity to show you how three very popular platforms work. And so we're going to be showing some videos and examples uh, today. So Blake, why don't you introduce our guests? Yeah, we have David Goldman, Nick Ragusa, and also Dr. Kathy McCabe, and they're joining us from uh, Florida uh, and New York, right? So um, we, um, you know, kind of piggybacking on what you said, we, we didn't want this to be just another um, telemedicine webinar. We've had, you know, several of those the past couple of weeks. We wanted to be more granular uh, and actually show you, uh, you know, people's systems that they're using via like a screen share and screen recording so you can actually get in there and see. Many people who are watching or listening to this may have already kind of sort of started telemedicine and are waiting to get ramped up. Um, and you can kind of see how your platform stacks up against theirs. And those of you who haven't gotten started, like Gary, uh, we're going to make uh, we're going to make the skeptics like Gary a believer um, after this episode because I really do think uh, this is here to stay. Um, and uh, you know, Nick, I think that we'll lead off with you because you know my understanding is that you were the only person on this call, uh, to my knowledge, that were doing telemedicine routinely on a routine basis before all this COVID stuff. So, you know, maybe you can kind of talk about, um, you know, how, it fit, how it's been fitting into your practice before kind of getting a little bit more detail oriented on the Doxy platform that you've been having success with. Sure. So prior to COVID, um, a small segment of the population that I've been seeing has been uh, using telemedicine, or I've been kind of trying to integrate telemedicine into practice with them. Uh, one was the homebound patients. So patients that couldn't make it to the office because of uh, physical issues, we were able to send technicians out to, to capture anterior segment photos, uh, pressures, and do fundus photography. And uh, after, afterward, I would receive the files, go over them, and call in, FaceTime with the patient, and communicate everything that I had seen. So that was, that was kind of like a su successful deployment of uh, telemedicine. Uh, other than that, uh, on days that I'm operating, uh, we converted some patients into testing only patients that came in for visual fields, some glaucoma specialists. So visual fields and uh, optic nerve imaging and the technician was able to obtain pressures. And then on the next day, when I came into the office, I would go over the testing and call the patients back using FaceTime to communicate the problems with them. So that's kind of two ways that I've been using it. Obviously the use cases are very different now because nobody's going to the office in New York. Uh, we've been shut down for the past uh, five to six weeks. So all we've been doing is pretty much what we're doing now, just the uh, face-to-face communication. 
So walk us through, um, you know, the platforms that you had kind of considered uh, or were using and then why it is that you ultimately are using the Doxy more. And then we'd like to kind of, uh, you know, take us through a patient visit on Doxy so we can see it. Doxy is one of the platforms that uh, kind of I started using. Not, so there's Doximi, not to be confused with Doximity, right? right. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of prepping for this. Uh, uh, you know, I did some recordings uh, of the video of Doximi, and I kept confusing the names. So they're very different. The Doxy.me platform is uh, web-based. So um, on the doctor side, you know, there, and, and the patient's end, there is no app. So it's browser-based, browser-based, cloud-based, what have you. It's kind of very easy to jump into. So I'm going to talk to you about doxy.me. This is a uh, free, easy-to-use telemedicine platform for us and for our patients. So what I'm going to discuss today is just setting it up for you yourself and your practice. Um, how to invite a patient in, and some of the pitfalls and upsides uh, of the platform as well. So this is the website, and you simply log in through the Get Started for Free button. Once you're there, the sign-up is very simple. You just need your first, last name, the name of the room. You can call it whatever you, whatever you like. Uh, your email, simple password, uh, alphanumeric. Uh, with a symbol and you just agree to their terms and conditions and that's it. You're ready to go So Once again, I'm using the free one here. So this is your dashboard. This is kind of what you see on the left hand side um, There's a chat bot here that you can discuss um, Issues with in case you run into any problems. There's even a little feature here that allows you to do a pre-call test and they give you some tips on how to look presentable and how to make a successful call, which is very nice. So um, if you do want to see a patient right away, you know, they provide you with a link. You can either copy that, text it to them, or if you wanted to invite them uh, through email, you can do that through a calendar. They also give you the ability to create a website badge so you can advertise that you are promoting uh, telemedicine um, on your website and they uh, allow you to print out some patient engagement tools um, so you can hand it out in your office once your office is up and running. The text message is not allowed through, um, uh, through the free uh, version. All right, so with the free version, this is me calling a patient, that's me. This is the, I'm asking the patient to bring the phone closer to them so I can uh, look at their eye and examine their uh, external portion of the eye, which is not very clear here, as you could see. Um, and that is by design. So the free version only allows for standard definition video. For our purposes uh, in the eye care field, uh, it really doesn't provide the detail that I personally would like, but it gives you a general overview of what the uh, what's happening with the eye. Things you cannot do with the free version, you cannot photo capture, you cannot group call, for example, if the patient wanted another family member uh, added to the chat. You can't screen share. So if you wanted to show 
an eye chart or if you wanted to show a model of the eye to discuss any uh, issues in particular, you can't do that through the free one. Um, you can't file transfer and you can't request payment either. Now, all of these are very nice features, but they do come uh, through the paid tier. So once again, to get your feet wet with telemedicine and with Doximi, um, I think using the free version is totally adequate, totally fine. There's some very basic things that you can do through this. For example, you can discuss uh, medical issues, you can discuss uh, COVID, how it's impacting your patient, how it's impacting the community. Uh, but outside of that, the exam is very limited um, and the capabilities are very limited. Now, if you did want to try the more robust version, they do, do give you a day pass for $10, which is uh, not a bad idea. So that way you can kind of see what you're getting into before you jump into the more professional version or the clinic version if you wanted. Um, so with the professional version, you get uh, high definition video, you get a little bit more of a personalized waiting room, you can send out those texts you can capture a screen, you can do a group call, you can screen share, file transfer, and request payments. With the clinic version, you can do what's called white labeling. So it won't look like it's coming from Doximity. It'll look like it's coming directly from you and your practice. Uh, this, this screen capture portion is important because you don't want the patient to like sit there and stare up for a while. It's really good to be able to just snap a shot of the anterior segment and then you can kind of zoom in, analyze it, see what's going on. Um, the screen sharing portion is also very nice. Uh, there are a variety of vision kind of tools that we can do so we can check patient's vision. There's different eye charts that we can display to the patient's uh, computer screen. So we can you know, use that to check patient's vision, which is also very nice. You can display an Amsler grid, for example, which is also very nice. But uh, in general, uh, I think Gary kind of put it nicely, uh, Doximi is considered teleophthalmology and it's uh, you know, not, not specific, right? It's not segmented out for tele-eye care or teleophthalmology. Now, there um, are specific teleophthalmology platforms that you can use. Um, we can maybe discuss that at the end. But um, if you didn't want to, so there are a couple of things here. The HIPAA rule has been suspended through the end of the year. Uh, specifically, what that means is the uh, security rule is not in effect, meaning the electronic transfer of information between patient and provider uh, is being enforced in terms of encryption. However, there are platforms out there that do a great job of that. Um, Zoom is one of them, even though, you know, we've heard of Zoom bombings, they are kind of, you know, trying to patch that up. Um, Skype is also very good, but you do need an email to log in. That email does create a security robustness. Uh, Google Hangouts, Duo, uh, Meetings also does provide that. Now, if you're in the Google ecosystem, for example, if you have Gmail, if you have Google Calendar, it makes scheduling these appointments and these visits very straightforward, very easy. Um, lastly, kind of the thing that we should mention is uh, FaceTime. If your patient does have an iOS or another Apple product, you can see them through the iPad, you can see them through the iPhone. The phones really, 
just kind of laid out, laid out there, the phones have much better cameras than our computers do. So even though, you know, we're probably all kind of seeing each other adequately here, you could see each other, you could see each other much more clearly either using the front facing or the rear facing camera on an iPhone 7 and higher. And if your patients are using an Android, like a Samsung uh, S20, I think, yeah, S20, it's 108 megapixels. So you can kind of keep zooming in and you can even see probably the red blood cells floating through the, uh, through the vessels there. I'm just kind of exaggerating, but you know, the camera technology is much better on the phones. Um, I think, uh, Nick, I, I think that the, the cool thing about this platform is that, um, you know, this was HIPAA, HIPAA compliant before COVID. So there have been yes. a lot of relaxing rules, but I would suggest for everyone listening and watching this, perhaps choose a platform that you could carry on afterwards. Cause it's, I think we'll discuss later. Many of us plan to carry this on later. Um, and so I think that's important, but for me being web-based and not, and being agnostic to, to a device, uh, you don't have to have a special type of cell phone uh, as long as it's a smartphone with a camera. I think that was kind of a, uh, a very robust thing. And, and also I'll, I'll mention lastly that, uh, you know, there are some ophthalmic companies out there that are actually uh, paying for practices to use the professional version of this. And, you know, folks can email me offline or, or hit me on Twitter and I can talk to you about that, but you can automatically jump into the one that's got, you know, uh, I think it was the middle tier package where you can do, yes. you know, uh, screen sharing and all that type of stuff. So Gary, I think that, um, I think that this, you know, for me has been such an easy uh, plug and play. Yeah, and, and obviously we're at, I think, a beginning of a, maybe a revolution, not just an evolution in the way we think about this. Um, you know, Nick, I think the idea of having a testing day, um, that really resonates with me because sometimes we have, we'll have patients come in for what we call a LASIK screening. So it's not, it's not the you know, two-hour LASIK exam where they're getting everything. We're just basically doing a, an autorefraction topography and pachymetry, and pachymetry so we can kind of see, you know, and that's the, the technicians do that. And then, you know, we kind of tell them, you know, it looks like you'd probably be a good candidate if you want to come back for a full exam. You know, I'm, I'm sort of thinking about, we could have these technician days where we're doing these LASIK screens and I could actually call them myself and do this telemedicine eval. So I'm already kind of coming over. I don't know if I'm on the dark side and this is the light side, but maybe I'm you know, coming to the light on this. My mind is, is being activated on ways not just now, but really how we can improve our efficiency. Because as, as we all try to ramp back up, efficiency is gonna be key. So um, I think that's, that's really interesting. Um, David Goldman, I think you are up next. Um, you have been um, a big fan of Emma Ophthalmology for a long time. I know it's something that uh, modernizing medicine, correct, is, is sort of what you've been uh, using. And yep. uh, they, they have um, a telemedicine application and I believe this is ophthalmology specific. Is that correct? Well, yeah. So, and, and again, I think it's fine for people who want to use a variety of different um, uh, services. In fact, I'll bounce around between them. The things I like about the modernizing medicine platform is one, it's integrated into the EMR, obviously, but also when the patients, so this is a little bit different in that the patients will download an app for their smartphone. And then when they log into their app, they take care of all the consents there. So you've already got your consents out of the way. And then it's sort of a one click in the patient chart, which we'll show in the video. The other thing is for whatever reason, I find the resolution in this format is much better than some of the other platforms. Um, but we can start the video and I'll just show quickly uh, a brief sort of um, interaction. We can cut it short at the end. So you can see one click there and you agree. And then as long as the patient's logged in, it goes right to the interaction. 
Hi there, how are you doing? Hi, Dr. Goldman. Thanks very much for calling me. I appreciate it. Sure. Having some problems with my left eye. You may remember I had cataract surgery six weeks ago, and my left eye's been, been red and it's been hurting me. Sure, yeah, it's been about six weeks since we did the cataract surgery? That's correct. Okay, any uh, flashing lights or floaters in the vision? No. Would, would you, I mean, can you see your fingers in front? I mean, how bad is the vision right now? Vision's hazy. It's kind of like what it was before cataract surgery, but I see everything all the way around. It's just a little greasy. Remember, it was perfect right after cataract yeah. surgery, and it's just a little greasy now. Any pain in the eye at all? No, no pain. Okay. Do me a favor. Can you come a little closer to the camera so I can take a close yep. look at that eye? Yep. Good. Let's see. Look up. Good. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Okay, great. You can have. A, you can sit back. I don't see any signs of what we'd call like a hypopia and lots of white cells in the eye. The eye's not red and injected. It doesn't look like you're having any kind of infection or anything like that. Um, looking at the notes, like you said, last visit you were 2020 without glasses. So it's probably one of two things: either what we call posterior capsule opacification or cystoid macular edema. The first one would be unlikely to occur this quickly with such good vision last visit. So most likely it's that uh, macular edema or basically swelling in the retina. Nothing to be concerned about. Typically this responds to some drops. I'm gonna prescribe the drops to your pharmacy that we have on file already for you. Um, you're gonna use both of the drops as it says on the label and it usually takes a couple weeks to get better. If the office is still closed, I'll call to check in with you again a couple weeks to make sure you're doing better. Obviously, if it gets worse before then, just call me again like we did this, this time, okay? That's great. Yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you very much. You got it. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you again soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And then you'll see here in the visit, I just go right into the note and I can put in the findings. I can prescribe the medications automatically uh, to the patient. Uh, it's pretty straightforward and it adds all the modifiers and everything you need already. So here I'm just writing a little extra blip. So, uh, and it's included obviously. So anyone who's currently using the software, it's free. It's automatically integrated. So for those people who haven't used it yet, they can start using it. If you don't know how to use it, there are online tutorials already. Um, but it's also just one other tool we have in the toolbox now to be able to interact with our patients. You know, I think that's such a good example of, of using this technology. You know, I was thinking, you know, as this was going on, I'm like, yeah, he probably has macular edema and you're going to write an NSAID and what a fantastic way to do this. You know, he's, his eyes not red and injected. It's not iritis. He doesn't have endophthalmitis. You know, it is interesting that just with a quick glance, we can really rule out with, with pretty good certainty uh, a number of things that are, that are happening. Um, so a couple of questions. You know, this platform looks fantastic. Um, it is app-based. So have you run into problems with people not being able to download the app or log in? Has that been a barrier? And if so, how significant has that been? Yeah, so it depends on the situation. You know, for some, most of my patients, it's not an issue, but obviously ophthalmology, we have a lot of elderly patients. So my patients in their older 80s and 90s, any kind of telehealth for the most part is pretty impossible to do unless they have a, a younger uh, you know, child with them that can help them get online. In some rare cases, I found a patient is a little more easy to use the doxy.me platform because they basically just click on a text link to get in. Uh, but again, I'm a little more um, preferential towards the modernizing medicine application just because you saw there in the video, the resolution is just so good. Um, it's nice to be able to have them in the interaction. And then I'm right in the note. I can just put in all my um, 
findings and it auto keys all the billing for me. And going forward too, I think this is something, you know, we never really did before, but it is HIPAA compliant. And so once we get back to work, those patients who call in with red eyes that sound like subconjunctival hemorrhages and other type of things, we'll be able to just set up telehealth during the day and not have to bring the patient in and, and, and save a lot of physician resources that way. Yeah. And so for people who don't have modernizing medicine, is this app still available or is it only available if you're already a pre-existing subscriber to modernizing yeah, medicine? Only if you're a pre-existing or, uh, or you sign up for it, obviously, but the software itself is free for those who are already using it. Okay. And then for billing and coding, does it help you with that? Are there special, um, does it recommend or help you know which code to select? Absolutely. So for those people who have it in the in the settings where you choose your location, there's a new location that says this is a telehealth visit. So you switch it to that, that'll automatically put in your 95 modifier for telemedicine. Uh, but there's a telehealth plan that you click on. And I have other videos that show that, but I just didn't want to take up too much time. Uh, but there's other videos that show basically it's a drop down menu that you can choose based on the amount of time you spent. Uh, and it'll auto populate those codes for you as well. And then does it record or can it record, can you choose to have it record the visit? So if you want to go back and reference the video, I don't know if that's an option or not. I don't, I don't think it's an option yet, but I don't think it'll become an option just because the size of those files would become so massive uh, for a high resolution video conference with every patient you're doing. Um, so I don't foresee that, but, but certainly the technology is pretty easy to integrate if you find a need to, to keep things on file. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, this, is, this has been uh, interesting for me because we use modernizing medicine as our EMR, and we think it's fantastic. We use it for our practice management software as well. Uh, uh, there's a question here that we, we answered about incorporating into the EMR. I think that's probably the best part of this is that it's directly incorporated uh, into the EMR if you're using their telemed platform. What we do is, well, we use Doxy, but we're, my, my, my scribe is logged into Emma, the modernizing medicine platform. So she's on my, my cell phone uh, on speaker while I'm doing the one-on-one -on -one telemed consult with the patient. So she's actively entering into, um, uh, into Emma while we're doing that. So there are ways around it, but certainly it'd be nice to have it pre-existing and sort of automatically sort of integrated. Um, and there's also a question by Mike Greenwood uh, from Vance Thompson Vision asking about verbal consents, with which I see Dr. McCabe answered. You can do verbal consents now. So um, I think that um, you know, anybody that, that is questioning whether you need to send them something and have them sign it and, and, and have it come back in, in, in the COVID area, in the COVID era, you can actually just do it verbal for now. So we'll see how long uh, that last. So just a reminder for everyone to keep on uh, uh, enter, entering some questions down below. If you have any questions for our guests, we'll certainly get to those. And uh, with that, we'll throw it over to Dr. McCabe um, to talk a little bit about what platform um, you know you chose and maybe show us some video of, of, of it in action. Yep. So we had the same concerns about wanting it to be a browser-based uh, platform so that there wasn't the need for an app to be downloaded even you know, with a simple link as a text message or an email, it can be challenging technologically for our patients, just figuring out where their camera is on their phone, for instance. So the fewer steps, the better. We also wanted something that would integrate with our practice management software. And so we're able to do that as well. And it keeps track of the length of time in case we wanna do time-based coding uh, for billing purposes. So some of the things that were important to us um, led us to Luma Health, and if we want to roll that video, uh, we can run through that. Our practice and iHealth America decided to go with the Luma Health platform for a number of reasons, one being that they already had a telehealth 
portion and it was browser-based and it integrates with our practice management software on our EMR to bring forward patients who have telehealth visits as you can see on the schedule here. The patient and the doctor both receive emails 30 minutes and 5 minutes prior to the appointment and the patient's email and text message both have instructions on how to have a successful visit such as getting a pre-visit visual acuity measurement, which currently we're doing with MD Calc. This will later be integrated within our practice website. To initiate the visit, the provider clicks on join video on the Luma Health schedule, and the patient clicks on the link in their text message or the email that was sent, and then they will share a screen. So here I am working remotely from home and I'm engaging a patient by clicking on join video on that schedule on Luma Health. We both now have video of each other and I can get a history also touching on all of the MIPS important uh, characteristics to document such as when the patient had their influenza shot, what their tobacco history is, any review of systems, medication changes, past uh, medical history or surgical history, and the history of present illness. And once we're through that, and that form actually does help me to record all of that, I'll have the patient take off their glasses, and then we'll do extraocular motility and kind of just looking at the general adnexa and external appearance of the patient. And you can have them do this where you can visualize both eyes so you can see how they're moving together, and you get an, an uh, idea of their relative pupil size this way as well. It's always good to have the patient find the best lighting in the room. And so in this case, I'm asking the patient to position herself so that the window is shining on her face. And then we'll examine each eye individually. And so I'll have her turn her smartphone uh, to a landscape view, bring it close to the eye, open wide, and look up. Look to the right, look down, look to the left. And then you can examine the fornix and the conjunctiva a little bit better by patient, having the patient look up and pulling their lower lid down and then look down and elevating their upper lid. And you really can get a pretty good view of what's going on externally. We conclude the visit and then I can take that sheet where I've recorded everything and enter it into our EMR. If we are working from the office, uh, this is Dr. Han. He's one of our optometrists. He's done a lot of these health, telehealth exams. He likes to work from his office. Uh, in that regard, he can do quite a few patients in a row. Patients seem to really enjoy the video engagement. It is a great way to follow up and answer any questions a patient has, especially postoperatively. And um, while he is examining the patient, in his office. Just outside of his office, we have positioned another computer where one of the technicians is able to listen in and do all the scribing at that time. So in the office setting, the patient checks in uh, with our check-in staff. Their initial part of the examination in the virtual room is done by a technician who takes the history and review of systems, uh, if we have somebody available right now. 
And then the exam itself is recorded by a scribe so that the patient and the doctor are always looking directly at each other. And we don't have the circumstance of having to look away uh, to document at the same time. And once the encounter is finished, then um, the scribe will finish doing the documentation and close out the encounter. And the patient is checked out just as they would have been at the desk. And we follow the ENM coding guidelines and also the different um, coding for a virtual check-in, which is just an audio telehealth visit uh, versus the live real-time video. So it's always possible that for technological reasons, we're not able to actually get the video to work. Uh, the patient just can't seem to manage the technology or whatever the problem is. And we then convert those into uh, virtual check-ins. And thank you for your attention. I have a couple questions for you with that, uh, about that. Um, really quick, I, I do want to, we're just past the halfway point. I want to thank our, our, our support uh, for, for this webcast. We cannot do it without these awesome companies who are helping us come together uh, uh, while we're apart. So thanks again to Allergan and to Johnson & Johnson Vision, uh, Ari, Novartis, Santine, Kayla Pharmaceuticals, Matrix, and Avellino Labs. Thank you guys so much. Uh, for your help. So, um, Kathy, there's been a couple questions um, about... Oh, Blake, Blake, I just want to point out, um, Kathy has been exceptionally safe. If you notice the bottle of Purell next to her laptop, <laughs> her telemedicine. It, it was a subtle reminder, always, you know, sterilize your hands. <laughs> that was my first question. That was my first question and comment. <laughs> Um, they had a question about your your practice management software. So so what what does that what we just saw what does that integrate with? Can you can you do what we just saw um, regardless of what EMR you're using, or is it sort of proprietary? So we've been working closely with Luma Health, and they've been upgrading it and integrating it more. You know, on a daily basis. Really, we have a work uh, you know list of requests for them, and they've been very responsive in trying to integrate it more. But right now, it uploads your schedule. So that's helpful. And you can look forward to your schedule too. And that timestamp will automatically upload in the, in the future. You know, because it's all video, there isn't a lot of the exam itself that is automated. Um, so you do have to go through that in your EMR, but just having that integration of the schedule and the practice management part of it and the documentation of the time of the visit, those things are pretty, um, pretty helpful just to begin with. Also like that you could, um, you, you mentioned one of those uh, software things that you could actually do like a Snellen chart and you could sort of check their vision. Um, you know, with mm -hmm. my Doxy platform, I'm just literally counting fingers. And if I'm concerned, I'm having them read books on the bookshelf from across the room, which isn't very scientific. Can you talk about, you know, what other applications that program is, is, is building now? Yeah. And, you know, of course, these are all user dependent on how accurate it is, but you do actually have to have a, a vision that's measured, not just a subjective reporting of the patient in order for it to count as one of your exam um, uh, Elements. portions. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, in order for coding purposes. So we really do wanna get that value if we can. Uh, so that was really one of the reasons we were so persistent in trying to have that. Now, right now that's just that email or text message that goes out with a link directly for the patient uh, and it's browser based, but in the future, we'll have that actually integrated into the whole Luma Health thing, along with an Amsler grid and, and anything else we can find that we can do remotely. So Nick, you got a question for? Yeah, no, Blake, just the, there are a couple of uh, 
uh, teleophthalmology specific platforms that do check vision uh, kind of in, in an automated fashion and one does it with the is more directed. So I care live uh, does an auto it's kind of it uses the C chart so that the patients are able to check the vision on their own prior to the examination, which is kind of cool. It's a really slick feature. Um, Pulse Telemedicine Technologies, uh, Pulse One. So I'm the CMO of that company. We uh, we do have an eye chart that we can show the patient. That's a distance chart, a near chart, and an Amsler grid, uh, where you can check the vision, check the vision um, while you're examining the patient. So those are two. Um, I'm sure others will kind of uh, come for. Uh, Kind of be it'll be more readily available with other kind of platforms as the market starts segmenting out. Um, one I, comment. I am gonna, yeah, sorry. I, I want to make just a quick comment on that is that one of the things I like about MD Calc and you might think about as you're doing this in the future too with different platforms is it actually tells them the line that they read as I read line six, line seven without it being 2020, 2030, 2050, just so that if a patient has you know maybe 2040 vision, they're not concerned with the number so much, even though by the line that they report to you, you know what the vision was as an exact value. So I kind of like that too, rather than the patient maybe doing the test erroneously or whatever and getting too hung up on the number. One other thing I'll jump in and say, I'm not sure if anyone has, has used this or not, and I mentioned this on a couple of uh, other segments, but um, keepyoursite.org. Has anyone gone to this website and checked it out yet? Blake, have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, Sean's thing, it's cool. Yeah, Sean Yanchula, who, you know, is, uh, you know, invented a lot of things and he cr created this foundation to help people really test their vision at home. He created it years ago, but obviously now with the situation we're in, it's made it even more interesting. Uh, but it has two different tests. One is like a, a central field, like a 10-2. It's called the MacuStat. It's really great for looking at, you know, central uh, defects, macular issues. Um, and then there's something called the Parastat, which is equivalent to a 24-2. So Nick, obviously with you having a glaucoma practice, um, any thoughts on, on virtual perimetry or what, what role that might play in your practice? So I think it's the future. I think more, uh, more testing outside of the office it makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of subjective issues that come with patients getting tested in the office. And we all know this, what the studies tell us that the first three fields are probably not correct. Um, so that makes a lot of sense with, you know, for my patients and I think for all of our glaucoma patients, there is a company out there called Virtual Field, um, where it's essentially a VR headset that patients can potentially take home with them and use multiple times. And I'm kind of discussing with them about doing a trial where we give it to a few patients and we kind of are able to develop a way of kind of, you know, doing this in a, in a more robust way where we can check patients' visual fields multiple times. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense during kind of the setting that we're in right now too. It's also nice that it's on their time. You know, when, you have, when you're doing visual fields, you've got a technician that's ba basically babysitting the patient, making sure that they're doing all the things they need to do. So outsourcing that or offloading it onto uh, the patient is, um, as long as it's easy enough to do, makes a lot of sense. And um, Ashton Agarwal from Chennai, India, um, he actually has a startup that he's also 
uh, developing a virtual reality-based visual field um, test. And so that's, uh, I think there's going to be a number of these companies that sort of come online because everyone's sort of thinking this is, is the future. Um, you know, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to know what you guys think. Uh, we sort of talked about how things are right now, and I think it probably stimulates a lot of conversation in our minds about how, wouldn't it be nice if there was sort of one solution where we had all this, you know, in one box where we could just sort of um, not have to piecemeal it together. Where, where do you think this is going? I mean, David, where do, you, where do you think we're going with telemedicine? Not just now, but once this is all over, how does this continue to transform ophthalmology? Sure. So I think we're going to see, I mean, across all specialties, but certainly in ophthalmology as well, we're going to see telemedicine take a bigger role. As I was mentioning earlier, not just screening patients, but even some post-operative visits may be carried out by your optometrist via telemedicine at the patient's doing great, happy, eyes clear and stuff, maybe they won't be brought into the office for every single visit. Um, and that'll definitely decrease exposure because even when these restrictions are lifted, there'll still be you know blips on the radar, there'll still be exposures and things. So the, the more we can minimize it, the better. I know Modernizing Medicine is working on adding more features to their app. And so I think it's just a matter of time before we start seeing more integration, as you were mentioning, vision, acuity checking, et cetera, where patients will be able to test themselves at home more and more. A couple points I'll bring up. I think, as was mentioned earlier, that the cameras definitely have better cameras, or sorry, the phones have better cameras than most people's computers. So in general, if the patient's using their phone, they tend to get a better picture, but also the rear camera tends to be a lot higher resolution than the front camera. So if they are with someone and you're having difficulty seeing someone, you can ask them to have someone help them and use the rear camera and you'll get a much better image as well. Um, but again, I think this is something definitely from the modernized medicine side, but I think in general, we're going to see all the EMR companies start to integrate more robust telemedicine platforms because this is something that's become more of just the regular routine and ophthalmic practices now. I think one, one basic question that, that we need to answer um, that comes up a lot, and Kathy, I want to throw this to you uh, because uh, we were talking with Gary at the beginning, and he was like, what am I going to use this for? I'm like a busy cataract refractive surgeon. And I'm like, what do you think Kathy and David and I do? You know, we do the same thing. So can you talk about, like, what, what type of consults you're normally seeing, being that you're a high-volume refractive cataract surgeon, that usually that's all you're seeing is pre-ops and post-ops. So, you know, is it still useful to talk about, you know, cataract surgery and LASIK surgery with these patients and, and, and bill them for a medical visit? Um, and can you just kind of run through that for us? We want to make uh, Gary a believer here. Yeah. Well, Gary, you, you got to try it because really I, patients love having that time. Number one, a lot of our elderly patients are self-isolating and they're a little bit lonely to begin with. So it gives them a chance to really get to know you. And it's amazing really how much patients feel they have a connection with you, even when it's a virtual or digital connection. And it does give you an additional time to explain, you know, what is a cataract? What is astigmatism? You know, why should they care about it? What are their options at the time of cataract surgery? What can they expect? Those are all things we try to run through really quickly during a regular exam. And if you've already covered that groundwork and you're already letting them know they have a decision to make, you have your, your light years ahead. So you could answer questions that come up during the exam, get all of that data once you do see them. And I think it commits the patient somewhat to you as well, especially a new patient you haven't met yet. So I think there's a lot of value to it actually. And I don't know about you guys, but I occasionally have repeat visits from patients between their cataract evaluation and their surgery just because they had more questions. And I think, you know, those can certainly in the future only be a telehealth visit. So I'm looking forward to incorporating it more. Um, let, me ask, let me ask you a question about that though, because 
you know, my partner coined this term getting, getting hay docked to death. You know, it's like you, you, you talk to a patient and you're about ready to leave the room. They're like, hey, doc, uh, one more thing. You know, do you find yourself when you're on these telehealth exams that, you know, they, they are starting to show you the mole on their back or they want to talk about how their, how their great grandfather had cataract surgery and he, got, he went blind and now, you know, they just never want to have cataract surgery. And I mean, do they start, do they start going off on tangents that sort of hard to redirect them? Do you, do you find yeah, you know, that was one of the big concerns of mine, too, because we have little mechanisms, I'm sure we all do, for how we get out of a room, you know, Dr. Graz on the phone, the ER needs you, whatever it is. Uh, and so it's harder to do that on a telehealth visit, obviously. But they also understand if you say, oh, I just got a notification, I have a patient waiting in the virtual waiting room for me. And so I'm sorry, I'm going to have to get off. But hey, we can schedule another telehealth visit for you maybe next week. And you know, talk a little bit further if you still have questions. So there's just a little bit different ways of smoothly trying to transition than standing up and edging toward the door, which you might do <laughs> otherwise. Yeah, I found the same. I think that for me, um, you know, it, it, I haven't gotten Haydock to death a, a, at all. And, and uh, it's been it's been pretty, pretty simple. Um, I, I will say a, a couple things about what Kathy just said is, you know, in terms of the cataract consult, you know, it's great because that's going to dramatically shorten their visit whenever they come back to see you after COVID. And that's big because they're not going to want to just be hanging out in your office. And then I'll also say post COVID, you know, those LASIK patients uh, that you're doing a LASIK eval with over telemedicine are much more likely to come to you if you have just that that, that five, 10 minute conversation with them, because uh, it's unlikely they're, they're doing that. They may be shopping around for different LASIK specialists, but they're probably not hopping on these telemedicine calls. So even in the future, we have plenty of patients who, you know, they call our office and they, they inquire about LASIK, but, you know, maybe they don't actually come in to see the doctor, but I bet you they'd be much more willing just to hit a link on their cell phone and boom, I'm there. And I think that that connection, once they sort of interact with you, you're kind of bound to them, so to speak, at least more so than someone that didn't have that. So, so I think that that's been valuable. Um, and then Nick, I want to kind of throw it to you here because we have a, a question uh, that's sort of glaucoma related, Jack Chapman, and also someone else on the chat asked about George Spath having developed the, uh, the, the Sparks contrast sensitivity test for use in glaucoma, AMD, um, and cataracts and clinical trials. They developed it for at-home use. This is kind of getting to what Gary's point was with that, uh, with this uh, website here, sparkscontrastcenter.com. Do you think this is useful in telemedicine? You were doing some uh, stuff with homebound patients before. Were you using this website or, you know, what do you, what do you think about this? I think it's the future. I think anything that we can kind of direct away from the office where we can still test the patients in the comfort of their own environment, so to speak, uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't have uh, kind of specific experience with the Sparks platform, um, but I have used the, you know, virtual fields where patient, we can test patients outside of the office or um, kind of outside of the, the Humphrey uh, field. And I found it immensely useful. The printouts are very similar to what you would see on a Humphrey, uh, pattern standard deviations and mean deviations, um, very, very similar kind of when you put them up uh, kind of apples to apples. Um, some other use cases that I want you to guys to think about also with regards to telemedicine is, you know, right now we're providing a service after hours for a lot of our patients that we don't get reimbursed for. Um, we can start getting reimbursed for that type of care. Um, patients also, can start taking telemedicine uh, calls we can, that we can direct to our uh, 
uh, technicians. There's a 99211 code that is a tech code. So our technicians can talk to our patients about certain issues, medication usage, drop installations that we don't necessarily need to take on for ourselves. Um, obviously, we're all kind of using it as a virtual day, especially here in New York. I can't go to the office, so I am kind of seeing all my patients virtually. That's another use case as well. But once kind of COVID goes away, we can start using it. You know, we can, might want to do a virtual day on our own, or we don't necessarily have to be in the office where we can see some of these patients and offload the kind of the office time to more important testing um, modalities and things of that nature. You know, one, one question I've got is, has anyone tried this with ER consults? Because it's, it's, it's always such a struggle to go to the ER and find the slit lamp and it doesn't, it's broken. And you're basically doing a telemedicine evaluation with your, with your smartphone anyways, when you're in person with your flashlight. Do you think that there's a, a use case for, you know, using this in ER consults who, for, for patients who maybe don't have trauma, but have some other issue that we might be able to solve? Nick, so, what are your thoughts? Yeah, Gary, I think you, you brought up a very kind of interesting point before about this idea of kind of maybe an automated slit lamp exam. Um, it's funny, on Instagram, I just posted a kind of like a very cheap way that you can attach a slit lamp uh, or your iPhone to a slit lamp, kind of like spending five bucks. It's essentially just the case and there are these rings that you buy that you glue together and you can just plop it onto the ocular and you get amazing photos. Um, I'm sure we've all kind of tried to take photos with our phone through the ocular and this kind of just makes it very easy. So I think if you can train the ER staff to do that, let's say you spend five bucks to make one of those for them and uh, you can train them to do that to help, you know, just very basically focus in on the eye it can save you a huge trip and can really save the patient a lot of the time in the uh, ER. So I think it makes a lot of sense. I was wondering if, you know, actually now when ERs are a little bit overwhelmed by COVID patients, if it's not something you might reach out to the ER and say, hey, you know, if you have a patient calling in or coming in with an eye problem, maybe don't have them sit in your waiting room with all the other coughing patients, you know, instead have them contact us with it for a telehealth visit. And then if we deem we need to see them, we'll see them as an emergency in-person in visit in our office. I think that's key. A lot of times, like I had a patient yesterday on my telemedicine uh, list who went to the ER because she had a foreign body. The doctor in EMR, ER didn't even call uh, ophthalmology. They swabbed her for COVID uh, and, and sent her home. That was it. They were like, you know, have you had any COVID symptoms? She's like, well, I've had a cough, but no fever. Like, okay. They tested her for COVID, didn't even look at her eye, didn't consult ophthalmology, said, leave and call your ophthalmologist. So I think that that's really critical. Um, and also for those of us that like me, I, I don't work with any hospitals. I don't go into the ER, but we get called after hours for, you know, uh, emergencies all the time. And I have to say that eight times out of 10, at least, um, you know, it's not whatever they thought was happening isn't happening. Like the call center yesterday called me and said, I have a patient whose iris is hanging out. And I'm like, wait, what? And I call the, I call the patient and it's a pinguiculitis, you know, so it's just, it's, so I think that the ability to do that's that, the same. Is, that's the same thing. it's basically the same thing, yeah. but as opposed to the, you know, having them just come, all right, well, come straight on in. Let me take a look at you. And I drive down to the, up my office. You know, I think that that's key in emergency situations. Yeah. What, one other thing I, I just want to bring up as a topic to sort of kick around is, you know, it, it sort of seems like the telemedicine revolution is being led by um, 
I would say software developers and various EMR uh, folks, companies that are out there. You know, we, in ophthalmology, we sort of have this confluence of technology and equipment that help us do our job. And I wish that we could have something like a Manhattan Project where we bring the EMR companies together with the device makers like Zeiss and, you know, Topcon and, you know, Marco and all the other, you know, Hogstrite, all of the, you know, the big companies to say, hey, how can we sort of work together and create digital tools that will allow uh, for some of these things to happen through these various, um, you know, platforms? Am I, am I dreaming? That's, is that never going to happen? I mean, I think that I- would be fantastic. I love the idea of like, what if like in every CVS and Walgreens, there was a digital testing center and the patient just went, sat down, got their virtual slit lamp, their fundus photo, non-midriatic fundus photo, and uh, and a pressure check there or whatever, you know, through the lid, pressure check, and then sent that data to you and then scheduled a telehealth visit after that. And, you know, just so that all of these remote patients too don't have to move so far to come in necessarily and have an in-person exam. So you know, yeah, it but, seems like we could coordinate that kind of technology. Basically, like oh, man, has, has actually developed this technology already. He's over in Vero Beach by me. It's called GlobeCheck is his company. And it's actually an all-in-one um, solution where it does the slit lamp photo, the OCT, the fundus photo, non-midriatic, and sends it all to you. It does autorefraction, et cetera. So technology is kind of there already, but it just hasn't. I think things like this now are going to make it a lot more mainstream. Can you I think it's like an ATM machine where you put your head in the ATM machine, you press a button, and boom, Dave Goldman is right there interfacing with you about refracted cataract surgery. I think that's pretty cool. Dave, what's the name of that? Again, I'd like to make sure people can, can reference that. It's called GlobeCheck. Uh, the founder is William or Bill Mallon, who's uh, just a little north of me in Vero Beach, Florida. And is Bill an ophthalmologist? Or yes, a- yeah. he's an ophthalmologist. He's past president of Florida Society of Ophthalmology. Um, I. I'm not 100%. I think it's Globe Check without the last C. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, right. it's online and, and it's out there. Okay. I want to throw this around. Uh, Dave, I'll start with you. What, uh, one, one of the things that with getting started with telemedicine, and we wanted this to be kind of a telemed boot camp, not just a general idea-based webinar, but one of the biggest challenges is getting patients signed up for it. So practices start to get rolling and they call patients and, you know, patients, you know, maybe they don't want to come in or maybe they're, um, uh, you know, intimidated by having to use technology. Um, and, and our technicians are, are finding sometimes it's difficult to get patients to agree to a telemedicine consult. So kind of what, what you know, tactics has your team been using? What are the words and phrases that they use in order to sort of increase, uh, increase adoption amongst patients? Sure. Well, right now what's been really fortunate is that uh, because of the COVID pandemic, patients are actually pretty scared to come in and people are hearing more and more about telehealth. So we've had a lot of patients actually call asking if we do telehealth. But one of the things I'd recommend for those practices that are integrating it, it's not going away. You can put information about it on your website. I think the more people do telehealth, the more everyone's gonna get comfortable with this. Uh, but that being said, you know, our front desk staff is still working. They still will walk through the patient and how to set things up for telehealth, give them tips. We can send them an email in advance or send them to a YouTube video to prepare them beforehand. But right now, at least most patients prefer not to come into the office. But going forward, I, I see this as being you know, some even just routine glaucoma patients need a refill, but want to have a question about something. You know, we do a lot of work in the office today that we're not compensated for. And so all these patient callbacks now by being able to integrate telegra- uh, telemedicine is really going to be able to help us uh, increase productivity and reduce overhead. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it took it took a long time for the blockbuster model to go away and for Netflix to get popular. You know, we're kind of on, a, on the precipice of that now with telemedicine. Um, we will get there. There is going to be a, an adoption period for us and for the patients. And with a lot of the platforms, they're not, not, not all of them are going to be around. You know, they will shake out and eventually the Google will pop through. Um, I think what uh, Kathleen talked about where she's working directly with Luma Health, Gary, uh, you know, that is kind of like the holy grail where you have an ophthalmologist directing uh, software engineering and kind of talking about what's important. Um, so I think more of that kind of collaboration is a good thing. That whole, that holy grail of everyone coalescing and working together, um, you know, I don't know if that would, <laughs> it's kind of uh, anti-capitalistic, <laughs> if you will, but uh, it is nice to dream. That's right. We got a lot of them on the call. We got a lot of them attending here. I'm looking at Glockos here, and I'm looking at Zeiss, and I'm looking at all you people. So, so uh, we want you guys to, to help us with this. Yeah. Kathleen, what do, you, what do you think about, as Blake was talking about, sort of barriers to adoption? Uh, do you feel like your patients um, have, have taken to this rather quickly, or have you had sort of a mixed, mixed results in terms of their willingness to do this? Well, I just want to, you know, say we don't have the length of experience that Nick has yet. So it's pretty new for us. And we've gone through an evolution in how we talk to the patients about the option of telehealth. And uh, that's really, you know, helped us to have people convert. It's just like anything else. If you tell them, you know, your doctor really does want to check in with you versus, well, if you want, you can do a telehealth visit. When patients really don't, they don't know what that is. They don't know what they need for equipment or anything like that. So, you know, and there are considerations that I think in the future will make it easier. So for instance, initially we were thinking to ask patients to have a younger family member help them. Well, <laughs> we thought about it afterward and thought, oh yeah, now we're asking our elderly patients to call their young granddaughter or grandson and come into the house in the time of COVID is probably not a very good uh, recommendation. So, you know, we're, we're, we're working through it as we go through and finding better ways to talk to the patient and oftentimes, you know, working with them to allow them to use the technology. Dr. Hahn has been doing the most in our practice and uh, our technicians call him the, the telehealth whisperer because he seems to be able to get any patient to be able to use their technology even when they're struggling. So we'll come up with better and better ways of doing that and better scripting to give patients ahead of time so they know what they're supposed to be doing. I agree with Kathy. I think scripting is important. I think considering putting your refractive counselors as your new call team is actually very useful. That's something that we did early on. Uh, and I also agree with what you said. You got to treat this like a normal visit. Before COVID and, and a real visit, you're never going to call the patient and say, hey, you have, a, you have an appointment tomorrow at 930. You have the option to, to continue to see Dr. Williamson tomorrow at 930. Like you would never do that, right? So why would we say that with telemedicine? If you think it's the same thing or the best thing that we got at least right now, that's how you say it. Say, so, hey, you know, your appointment is still tomorrow. Dr. Williamson asked me to specifically call you to let you know he's looking forward to seeing you tomorrow at 930 for your previously scheduled appointment. So I think that that's, that's important. And by doing that, we're already doing some nearly 100 consults per day amongst about 11 of our providers. So, so that's, been, that's been super important for us is who's making the phone call. And we have a five-page script that we've run through um, because uh, it's important. And, you know, I must say that a lot of times some of those patients that 
if, at the end of the day, it's the patient's decision whether they want to come on and do it or not. But those ones that, that have, have agreed to, to do telemedicine, perhaps less enthusiastically, uh, have been super enthusiastic after we're done. It's almost like working out. Like you're not fired up about going until after you're done working out. Then you're like, I'm glad I went. Uh, so it's kind of, we found that to be the case in our practice at least. Yeah. You know, I think it, it is, it's a very interesting time. I was, I was sort of on Twitter the other day and someone said that, you know, COVID is going to be responsible for their company's digital transformation. You know, I think it's, it's one of those things that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And so we're, we're right now realizing that, you know, can we take care of patients, you know, digitally and, and non, non-invasively and not even being in the same room. And, you know, it, it is very interesting that COVID-19 obviously is going to have a lot of negative, um, you know, ripple effects, but maybe one of the positive ripple effects is we do further the digital revolution of ophthalmology. And I, I honestly do. I mean, I thank you guys for giving me your perspectives. I, I'm actually um, much more of a believer in this as not just something that we can do now, but something that's going to continue uh, to transform our profession making it more accessible because honestly access to care is still a huge issue especially in some of um, our underserved areas and so not only can we take care of people who you know maybe just would be a waste for them to come in we might be able to reach out to people who never would have darkened our doors just because uh, access to care is an issue um so uh, any any final thoughts uh, on this before we wrap up yeah, I just wanted to echo what Blake was saying that, you know, patients often are really happy they got it done. It's just like, you know, get off the roller coaster. You're like, oh my gosh, that was easy. That was fun. That wasn't so scary, even if you didn't necessarily want to go on it. And what we're doing right now is educating our patients on how to have a successful telehealth visit. So what the easiest telehealth visit is the second one you do on a patient because they already know how to click on the thing. They already know where the camera is on their phone and all of those other things. So it's worth the effort. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. This is something we should all be getting into now. If you haven't started yet, you should. Definitely in our practice, we're doing it a lot more. But even uh, from a, you know, perspective of uh, efficiency, we would have patients come in for visual field tests uh, on days when the surgeons are operating and, you know, call them back. But now to be able to interact with them via telehealth uh, just adds that extra level of uh, personal communication, allows us to bill more effectively, allows us more of that you know, connection, confirm the patient compliance with the medications, et cetera, um, screening patients, et cetera. There's just so many applications that at first I didn't think would play a role. And the reality is it, it actually plays a very big role in ophthalmology for telehealth. I think one thing that you should also consider is uh, marketing. So patients that are seeing us now through telemedicine, those are patients that we're probably going to keep for a very long time and are probably not going to go back to their old providers. Um, so marketing is a huge key here. This is the future. This is a paradigm shift. All of you have tremendous reputations. You're not limited geographically now to where you can see your patients. Patients could see you from anywhere across the world uh, if you wanted to. Yeah, I think that uh, sometimes as doctors, we can be slow to, to um, adopt certain technologies and platforms, maybe not refractive surgeons, but other doctors. And there was a technology sort of software platform about 10 years ago, something called social media that a lot of people were really slow to adopt. And those who jumped in head first, I think, benefited. So I think telemedicine is the new social media in the sense that, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not going away. Um, and this is something that we should all sort of embrace to figure out how we can use it to serve patients. So, you know, I think, Gary, this has been a very useful webinar. We got to see three 
you know, platforms to kind of give everyone a buffet of what they might be able to choose. Um, and I appreciate everyone coming on. Uh, on Thursday, I also want to let everyone know to join us again around noon central. Um, we're going to have an experienced ophthalmologist's um, um, uh, uh, panel uh, of experts to come and talk to us about how to get through this crisis now that PPP is starting to hit, now that, you know, uh, things are kind of changing in Washington. So we'll have Steve Slade, uh, Charles Williamson, Sherry Rowan, and Robert Maloney joining us. They've been through disasters before, so they're going to teach us how to kind of get through this disaster. So thank you all for joining us. Bryn Mawr Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson Johnson Vision, Aerie, Novartis, and Santen. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming. This webcast podcast is intended solely for ophthalmic healthcare professionals and ophthalmic industry representatives. By accessing this webcast podcast, I acknowledge that Bryn Mawr Communications LLC here in BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information presented in this webcast podcast. BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any of the opinions or information presented or mentioned. BMC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, in this webcast podcast.